Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good morning, Roshi. How are you today? Very good. We're, we're, we're planning a really big episode for this, our 101st, unless uh, we just do something simple and small. What do you think, Kurt? Is there really a difference between big and small? Well, that's actually our point today. And that, no, there isn't, but yes, there is. That's what, you know, the kind of things Zen folks say which is why we have a Zen of Everything podcast. Yes, <clears throat> big is small, small is big, yet small is small, and big is big, and in between. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing. Big fish, small fish, red fish, blue fish. Yes, it yes. could very well be. Yes, It yes. could well, very well be. Well, big and small are relative. Every once in a while, I think what it must be like to be one of my cats, looking up at me like the equivalent of a 20-story building if it was humans, right? Like walking down Manhattan, looking up at the skyscrapers. And it's just normal for them that they are smaller than humans, but they're bigger than mice. I disagree. I think the cat thinks that he's, my cat at least, thinks that uh, he's the center of the universe and everything else is small compared to him. So uh, it's, uh, it's where you stand. And uh, it's all about where we stand, isn't it? Where we look out at the stars and, and down at the, the ants below us. This is how we determine big or small. The ant probably doesn't feel small uh, compared to uh, the mountain. He doesn't think in such terms. The, the ant just feels the, uh, that the ant is the ant and the mountain is the mountain. Well, we feel big sometimes compared to an ant, but we feel small when we look at, at the universe. So we can understand that we're somewhere in the middle between ants and the universe. Well, this is uh, where Zen Buddhism throws a, a, a monkey wrench in the whole thing. And it's, it's really important that we do this. We've touched on it a little. We had episode on time. We've had episodes on we are the universe. And it, it's going to, you know, come, come into this episode too. The fact that when you look up at the stars, you're looking at your other face. And when you look down at the ant, you're also looking at another face of you, and you are a face of the ant. So it's not really a matter of being big and small. You can't say the universe is smaller than me, or the ant is bigger than me. No, I got that backwards, but you get the point. You can't <laughs> say that because it's all each other. Does Zen look at things and label them big or small, or does it say, just don't label anything? Well, both, again. So, let, let's start off with the... Uh, okay, so the general theme of this podcast for the 101st episode, for the 101st time, is yes and no, on and off, uh, big and small, at the same time. The real title of this podcast should not be Zen of Everything. It should be something like 
the Zen of everything, which is everything else and, and then some. Because that, that's really true from a Zen perspective. Now, the first thing is that Zen has some wonderful lessons that many people are very familiar with, which is living small, living in simplicity. We don't need all the big things that we run after in life. We can be content with the small, the simple, and the near. You know, uh, these days, uh, more is better. Uh, we want quantity. We want uh, to get the super large uh, size. We, the more you earn, the happier you're supposed to be. Bigger house means, you know, uh, more power. This is what we want in the world. And Zen teaches us, be content with what you have. Live simply. Don't always think that the, the big is better than the small. You need just enough. I think it's a little bit erroneous to say, now we want more. I think people have always wanted more. You go back to the time of the Buddha. He was in a palace. He had everything. He realized that he didn't need more. Yeah, he had it out. Now, in the old days, maybe the king wanted more, but the peasants didn't get you know, much of an option on that. They got what they got. So Yeah, but they wanted more too. They saw the king. They saw the princes. They wanted to be like them. There's always been this desire for upward mobility to have more. No, this is true. And, and much of Buddhism goes against our hungers and our animal nature. Our animal nature wants to kill and be violent. Buddhism tells us to be peaceful. It goes against the animal in us. Uh, part of us may want to eat more, consume more, gain more, conquer more. And Buddhism reverses that and tells us to be simple. So you have to realize that, that Buddhism is kind of a check on our natural human instincts. Isn't it fair to say that Christianity espouses the same things? It's just that they've been forgotten. I mean, the original message of Jesus was sharing, turning the other cheek, helping other people. Yeah, I was at a mega church the other day, and that was the, the lesson. <laughs> but, you know, even, even for a religion of simplicity in Buddhism, we got some mega buildings. You know, we, we, we like to build our big golden statues and, and have some glorious temples. You know, bigger is, bigger is better in Buddhism, too. And that big Buddha at Kamakura is huge. Oh, I, I got one just in the next town here. The giant Buddha of Ushku. Have you heard about it? No. Ushku. Yes. It was built in the ancient age of 1971, I believe. Uh-huh. It, it is a standing Buddha that is, uh, I, I don't want to misquote this, nine stories tall. It's the only Buddha I know with an elevator. <laughs> And whenever people come here, it's it's just a short drive from here. It's like a 45-minute drive from here. Whenever people come to visit me in Scuba, I always take them over there. It's really something. You you get in there, and you go up, and it's got, a, an, it's got an observation deck right on Buddha's chest, you know, <laughs> chest area. And then uh, the little trick I play is this. You know, they, they, I, I take them around, and everyone's in Gosho, and then I say, now we are entering the most sacred precincts of the giant Buddha. Please, everyone bow and have your head down and in your hands in God's show as we enter. Okay, you may now raise your eyes. And it's the gift shop. I've taken them <laughs> to the gift shop. I do that every time. But it's actually, it's actually something. Uh, we'll, we'll post a link to it. The giant Buddha of Ushku. Yeah, I just looked it up in Wikipedia. It is 120 meters tall or 390 feet. 
Um, it was completed in 1993. It's not as old as you said, but an elevator takes visitors up 85 meters to an observation floor. And the statue depicts Amitabha Buddha and is made of bronze and has a gift shop. We're, we're actually a little upset about it here because they, they were very uh, uh, proud of having the Guinness Book World Record for, I believe, the, the, the tallest statue. And they had that for a while, but I think we've gotten replaced by uh, one in, I want to say, China or Singapore. We're now number three. Oh, that's a shame. So, so this yeah. is kind of like the Statue of Liberty, except Buddhism. It's actually bigger. I'm going to send you a link. It's actually, they, they did a comparison. It's actually bigger than the Statue of Liberty, especially if you don't include the pedestal. Right. And it's bigger than Godzilla. Ah. I, I will send you a link. So... Should we call it the Statue of Liberation? Oh, that's really cute. That that's really cute. Well, it, it has some interesting features. For example, they have in uh, uh, one of its big toes, and the big toe is bigger than my car. That was a big sneeze just now, Kirk. Nobody heard that. But the... Yes, but I muted my microphone so no one can hear yeah. it. Yeah. So anyway, but you know, a tiny Buddha is just as wonderful as a big Buddha. And and Buddhism teaches that everything has a Buddha. There are big Buddhas and little Buddhas all over. So it's not a matter of only uh, uh, bigger is better. Buddha is everywhere. I've seen, I don't remember where I've seen images of the Buddha carved out of matchsticks. Yes, yeah. And uh, I believe, uh, if I remember correctly, somebody used some kind of new technology to to engrave one on on some kind of uh, on a, a few atoms, something like that. Really, really, really small. Yeah. So we can't say the bigger Buddha is better and the little Buddha is better, but they're all just the same Buddha, aren't they? They're they're all well, no, they're all different Buddhas, of course. The one, the giant Buddha is Amida Buddha, right? The Pure Land Buddha. Takes you to the Pure Land, right? 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 And uh, but he takes you to the pure land on an elevator. He takes you on the palm of his hand, actually, and you could uh, <laughs> get up there. But uh, no, there are all kinds of Buddhas, and and one of the things that Buddhism teaches us is truly, you can find a universe looking up at the stars. You can find a universe within you, but you can find a universe in every flower. Every blade of grass, and yes, every grain of sand, which brings us finally around to William Blake, doesn't it? Yes, doesn't. Yes. Are you a Blake fan? Um, I've read Blake in my time. He's a bit. I I, I appreciate his mysticism, but it's that sort of archaic, old type poetry that doesn't quite grab me. It doesn't have the rhythm that I like in poetry. Whenever the subject comes up, uh, people quote his auguries of innocence which begins famously. I'm allowed to recite poetry. You don't want me singing, but poetry is okay. No singing, because yeah. that could be a copyright uh, violation. He, he's dead for 150 years. There's no copyright on, the, on, on this. No, but singing, anyway. singing. If you were to sing oh, a song. Singing. Yes. A singing song. Okay. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand, and eternity in an hour. That's, that's very beautiful and very much what we were, were talking about. Um, I have to confess, though, that I never had actually read the rest of the poem. I'm sure the ghost of my old English teacher is, a, well, he's about to turn over in his grave, but 
I read the rest of this. I have no idea what this poem is about. May I recite a little more? If you want. I think the poem is like just a long list of different creatures and trying to merge them with that idea that's in the first four lines. I Yeah, there's a lot of creatures, but I don't get the merging part. Let, let me go here. The poison of the snake and newt is the sweat of envy's foot. The poison of the honeybee is the artist's jealousy. Even a bad rhyme. The prince's robes and beggar's rags are toadstools on the miser's bags. A truth that's told with bad intent beats all the lies you can invent. Is it right it should be so? Man was made for joy and woe. And when this we rightly know, through the world we safely go. I have no idea what that's. Okay, let me try a few lines here. Okay. The questioner who sits so sly shall never know how to reply. He who replies to words of doubt doth put the light of knowledge out. Okay. Right. Yeah. See, this is why I don't like Blake's poetry. It's It's got that archaic thing, like, with almost every noun capitalized and the, the rhymes that don't work for modern... Anyway, the, the first four lines are infinitely cited. Everyone knows the first four lines. We can forget the rest. He He said, in the first four lines, he said the whole thing. Well, another thing is, uh, you know, Buddhism accepts all with equanimity, but this is a bad poem. I do not like this poem. Okay. So anyway, let's get back to big and small. We'll we'll leave the poetry aside for now. And uh, I would like to give everyone a little homework, at least once a day. Wait, homework? We don't give homework. This isn't a class. No, no. This is not my high school English class. I'm not going to grade yes. them, but I'd like to yes. give a little homework. Uh, look at something. Really look. Just look without thinking about it. Don't try to analyze it. Don't think, what is it? If you truly look at a leaf, if you truly look at a grain of sand, you will find infinity within it. And it's actually mathematically true. If we travel fast enough, we could explore the entire universe, but it might take infinite time. But if you go slow enough, it would take you infinite time to explore even a single atom. You'd have to go really slow. Really, really slow. Really, 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 really slow. Almost as slow as some of our episodes uh, here. But if we if we did that, you would find that infinite time is in the small and infinite time is in the big, which proves that the big is infinite and the small is infinite. And since infinite is infinite, big is small. There, there's the equation. Your high school math teacher would have liked that. He's rolling over in his grave, too, I think. <laughs> so if you can prove that big is small and small is big, does it matter if something's yes, big or small? Why? Yes, it does. Because one of the things is, thank you, Copernicus. I, we discussed this a little in our universe episode. Thank you, Copernicus. We spe feel like a meaningless grain of dust in one uh, innocuous corner of a vast, vast universe that every time we look seems to be vaster than the last time we look. And we feel awfully small, and we associate small with meaningless. Now, not only is it true what I told you at the beginning, that you are looking at yourself, but also there is no measure that's objective that small thing is better or worse than a big thing, and vice versa. We, we say, for example, economically, a pound of gold is better than an ounce of gold. But that's, our, again, our human heart. 
Well, that's only putting arbitrary value on gold, which has no intrinsic value. Exactly. Exactly. So there is nothing to say that the universe is somehow more meaningful. A galaxy would seem more meaningful than a planet, and a planet would seem more meaningful than a grain of, of sand. But to the Buddhist, the grain of sand is of infinite value, the planet is, is, is of infinite value, the universe is infinite value, and guess what? So are you. You are a jewel of infinite value. Dude, I'm a jewel. You're a jewel. You certainly are, Kirk. A Kirk jewel. <laughs> but does it even matter? So here we're getting to the real koan. Does it matter if it's big or small? Does it matter if we label something big or small? Well, if it, to the extent that we don't cherish everything. Uh, yes, we. it's important in Buddhism to see everything as kind of its own universe and kind of its own jewel and precious. That's a, that's a wonderful thing that we often forget. And that includes us, but it includes every leaf and grain of sand. And even the big things too, the mountains and the stars. Uh, there, it's all it's all wonderful, and and uh, we ha we have to see the the wholeness of it all, and that uh, really the big and the small are just two faces of each other. Big and small. That makes us think a lot of about money. Let's talk about Buddhonomics. This is very important. I think if, if the human race is going to survive, we have to take some lessons from the the so called Buddhist economists, who unsurprisingly are economists, most of whom, asterisk, I found out not all of them, but most of them are actually practicing Buddhists. And they have some excellent lessons. The kingdom of Bhutan, which instead of just thinking in terms of gross national product, thought of gross national happiness and contentment, which meant that it was not a matter of how much things people had. Everyone should have enough food. They should have a house. Don't get me wrong, right? But how happy you are in the house you have. Can you be content with the small? This is a lesson of, of Buddhist economics. Uh, by the way, Bhutan a little bit decided to modernize, open their doors to, to tourism, built a lot of big hotels. They've lost their way there a little bit. The recorders of Bhutan now try to develop the economy big. Okay, but for the most part, the king was very wise in establishing that it's not all about the money. On the other hand, we consuming, consuming, buying, buying, and then tossing it in the ocean, if we don't learn the lesson that we have to live smaller, well, you know, we won't be able to do this podcast in a few weeks, Kirk, because your house is going to be underwater as the rest <laughs> of the UK. So, well, no, I'm not worried about flooding. We're not in a flood zone, but it's true that. I don't know about you, but I've been getting depressed reading the news lately about we're, we're passing that one and a half degrees centigrade above the norm, however they measured it. Politicians don't seem to be doing anything, yet the solutions are there. The solutions are solar power, wind power, and it's these vested interests in fossil fuel companies that are lobbying and preventing people from doing what they need to do to keep climate change from getting out of control. If you're the chairman of a board of a petrochemical company, then uh, I would say, yes, profits, the bigger, the better from your standpoint. And your salary and, uh, and stock shares, uh, the bigger, the better. We have to get past this, though. 
we we have to we have to come to live in a way where we realize small is better for some things. We don't we don't need more more more. We need better in the sense of of better quality. And some things I'd like to see. I'd like to see better medicine, not bigger medicine. I would like to see better food, not bigger food. Bigger food is what makes us fat. Better food is delicious <laughs> and healthy. This is a Zen lesson. It's not. It's not that smaller is necessarily better, but there's a difference between quality, and that's different from quantity. Well, maybe that's a more interesting distinction. We started with big and small, which is relative size, right? Mm -hmm. But quality and quantity is another distinction. We can have a lot of stuff, but if it doesn't last, if it's not healthy, if it's not good, what's the point? It's better to have less stuff that's good than more stuff that's not going to last. I, you know, it's interesting. We're, we're the same age. We're in our early 60s. We're old and gray, and we walk with canes and all that. A little big around the middle, both of us, yes. Yeah. And in the last 10 years, I've bought a number of things that have cost more money, but that have been better quality and that are lasting much longer because, what do they say, buy cheap, buy twice. And with all these years of experience, I've bought things that aren't good. And I think it just takes a lot of time. A few years ago, I started buying some wonderfully crafted Japanese knives to use in the kitchen. And they're expensive, but they will last the rest of my life. Unlike other knives, which are made in a factory with cheap steel and plastic handles, it's a different type of, not only the experience, using these knives, I feel different because I know that they're different knives, but that I know they're going to last. Well, we don't want to say that big and small are exactly equal. For example, sometimes you need a big knife. Sometimes you use <laughs> a small knife. You don't use a cleaver to cut a tomato, right? Chinese chefs use cleavers for everything. I can't adapt to that. All right. But you don't use, uh, well, okay, then you don't use a cleaver as a surgical scalpel. Would that be a better example? Exactly. So everything has its place. There is a place for the small. There is a place for the large. The sumo wrestler is large. Uh, my daughter, she's as lovely as she is, she's small. I'm not saying the cat's even smaller. I, it's, it's not a matter that I'm saying that all things are, are totally equal. But another thing is we need to appreciate everything just as it is. Let the small things be small. Let the big things be big. And don't use a big thing when it should be a small thing. Don't use a small thing when it should be a big thing. Everything is in its proper place. If you if you if you build a bridge, it has to be a certain length. If it's too small, you're not going to get where you're going, right? <laughs> the same thing. Everything has its proper place and beauty. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I have some big ideas for next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.